0: First Kings, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days." And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, we're a little bit of a transition here, and I thought we'd step back for a moment and just ask this question, how is God healing the world? Because that's really, once you get past chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible, that's really what's going on, is God is trying to save the world, rescue the world, redeem the world, heal the world, whatever you want to say. And, uh, Bruce, if we could go ahead with that first slide, here's a summary Uh, Israel is formed to create a contrast society, a just and therefore blessed society, in opposition to all the corrupt societies of the world. And that really is a a summary of God's strategy for, for healing the world. Let me read it again. Israel is formed to create a contrast society, a just and therefore blessed society, in opposition to all the corrupt societies of the world. That's plan A for how God wants to heal the world. As far as I know, there's no plan B. And uh, I I also wanted to quote someone named Norbert, because I've never done that before. Um, Now, Norbert, yes. Two scriptures of hundreds that we could point to. Uh, The the next one is uh, God speaking about Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised. Him. So, um, that's the one from Deuteronomy, isn't it? Um, see, I have taught you decrees and laws, uh Uh, let's go back one (laughs) one slide now we're fast forwarding to the deuteronomy where god is instructing the people about what kind of people they're going to be see i've taught you decrees and laws as the lord my god commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it observe them carefully that for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nation's who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today. So you get the picture, remember the book of Deuteronomy or sermons Moses preaches before the children of Israel go into the promised land, reminding them of their covenant and their mission. And essentially he's saying, look, God's strategy is that you live in a way that advertises to the rest of the world uh, the greatness of God. And I've used this story many times, I'll uh, I'll tell it again. In the Soviet Union, when Stalin wanted to show uh, his vision for uh, communism, he would take visitors to a little city in Poland called Nowa Huta. And Nowa Huta meant new city and he put the best schools there, the best Soviet gymnasiums there, the best Soviet health care there, and if you wanted to know the vision of communism, you'd go visit the new city. That's what God is doing in the Bible. He's creating a new city, a new people, and they're to be known by the way that they worship, by the way they love each other, by the way they raise their families, by the way they care for the powerless. That's the program for healing the world. And people are to see that and be drawn into the family of God. That's what the Bible is all about in a nutshell. Now, if you remember just a little bit of your biblical history, Moses leads Abraham's children out of Egypt. They go out into into the desert. They form a people. God gives them the commandments. God gives them his presence. He teaches them how to worship. And he warns them not to become like the other nations. And at first, Yahweh leads Israel himself, but then uh, the people start to look around and they say, you know, this thing of Yahweh in the tent in the cloud is getting kind of old and unpredictable. We want a a leader who we can touch and taste and see, and so uh, we want a king too. God says, no, you don't. He says, no, no, we want a king. God gives them a king, gives them Saul. Then he gives them David. Then he gives them Solomon. And the period of the monarchy lasts 400 years. Shortly after Solomon's reign, everything starts to unravel. Actually, it starts to unravel in Solomon's reign. Uh, After he dies, there's a civil war. His sons get into a fight. The north splits off, start worshiping other gods. They are taken into exile. 200 years later, the south follows the same path. And by the middle of the 6th century, there is really no Israel anymore there's more to the Old Testament story than that. Things happen after the exile, but that's kind of the big idea. And so the the question you're left with after the exile is how is God going to fulfill his promise to bring in the kingdom of God through the son of David? That's what everybody's asking for 500 years before Jesus comes. And all of this history is recorded for us in the book of Kings and Chronicles. Um, Why would we care today about a dusty old book like this. This is why. God's strategy for healing the world has not changed. He is still calling his people to live in a different way before the world. He's calling us to live according to his laws, to worship him as the true God, and to give special concern for the powerless. The New Testament says that the church is the new Israel. Let me say that again. That's pretty important. The New Testament, Paul particularly, says that the church is the new Israel. We are the new people of God. And so the things that God said to the old people of God apply to the people of the new, uh, who are the new people of God, except for the ceremonial things that went away with the cross. So this is very relevant to us. Now, we're just going to spend three or four weeks with Solomon, and then we're going to look at the Hebrew prophets. Because the Hebrew prophets keep calling the people of God back to his original vision. And I think they have a word for us. They're very hard to read. They can be very hard to understand. But I want us to pay attention to their message because I think it's a message for us, too, about what it means to be the people of God and what happens when we veer from God's vision and become conformed to the world around us. Kind of sobering things in the prophets. And as kind of an aside, there's a whole part of the prophetic literature that also talks about what happens to a nation, even if it isn't Israel, when it veers strongly from the will of God. So there's there's quite a bit to address uh, this this fall as we look at this together. So that's kind of the background as we dive into Solomon. Now, David uh, is dying. He gathers his son to him. He says in chapter 2, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, Solomon, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. So David ends as well as he can. He's aware that he's not always followed God perfectly, but he charges his son to follow the law of God. And the story of Solomon's reign is found in 1 Kings chapter 3 through 1 Kings chapter 11. And the the opening line is a puzzler. Uh, It's not what you would expect in the biography of the king of Israel. The opening line of Solomon's biography is, uh, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. So Solomon, we assume, knows God's law to some degree, and God's law was very clear. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says, do not marry foreign wives, and it says to kings particularly, don't make alliances with Egypt. (laughs) <laughs> so there's kind of two clear things there. I'm thinking of some cartoon character you used to say Rutro. <laughs> this would be uh, the point in the story where you're thinking, well, "Rutro, this, this is uh, this is not this is not good at all." Now, why does he do this? Verse three says Solomon loved the Lord. So here is a guy who's trying to follow the Lord. He loves the Lord, and right out of the bat, he makes an alliance that goes against the. The law of God. Why does he do it? Because everybody else did. This was just how you ruled in the late Bronze Age in the ancient Near East. If you were a small vassal kingdom, you would make an alliance with the kingdoms around you to protect you, to keep you secure, to keep you safe. That's why all the kings of that period would do these marriages. It wasn't about love. So Solomon is doing what was normal, what was accepted, what everybody else did. No one batted an eye at it, except it was wrong. And eight chapters later, the narrator will say, this was when he sowed the seeds of his own destruction. Now, what is so scary about this is that he seems to have no idea what he's done. And you remember, Solomon loved the Lord. This is a man who's trying to serve the Lord. He seems to have no idea that he has made a decision that effectively will destroy him. I mentioned that in preparation for the prophet series, I've been reading the book, by Abraham Heschel called The Prophets. He's a great rabbi, Um, and and if you're oriented like that, you might want to read it as we prepare for our prophetic series. One of the things that has struck me, and and in the book he goes through each prophet book by book, one of the things that struck me as I've gone through it is the people never seem to know what the prophet's talking about. they always seem kind of deceived or blind or unaware. Uh, Amos is, is probably the, the hardest. Um, and there's a line in chapter 6 of the prophet Amos, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Zion's a metaphor for the people of God. Woe to those who feel secure. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and sing idle songs who drink wine in bowls but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. The ruin of Joseph is the decline of the family of God. And he's saying, he's saying people, do you not, do you not understand? You're, you're going to church, you're going through all these religious motions, but don't you see how how sick you are? You don't see it. That scares me. You know, it's easy to go through history and point our fingers at other times. You could go to Nazi Germany. Christians are worshiping happily while the nation is committing genocide. You go to South Africa during apartheid. Christians are writing great books of theology while they're (laughs) Nelson Mandela's in jail. Go to America. You know, we're sending missionaries all over the world while we don't let black people into our churches. It's real easy to just go, man, that's incredible, those idiots. What are they gonna say about us? What are, what am I missing? What are you missing? That is just totally normal to us, but it really breaks the heart of God. This is not a great illustration, but it's just one that popped to mind. I, There's uh, an African-American man that stands on Gay Street before you walk over to the State Street garage. He's been there about a year. He's homeless, I think, and he, he doesn't even sell the paper. He tries to give used versions of the paper that someone else gave away. And over the course of the summer, he lost his mind. I watched it happen. Every night, about... When I would go home, I'd watch slowly go from a little conversation we had in May to an inability for him to have a conversation at all now. And, of course, he's not interested in the rescue mission and all the resources that we have in our community to offer that. I don't know the answer to this. But it occurs to me that daily I walk by a 60-year-old African-American man that is losing his mind. And it no longer has much effect. I wonder what else we're, we're missing that God cares deeply about. I suppose it could be something different for, for all of us. And maybe we could ask this. What are your pharaohs? What do you look to for security and significance apart from God? That may be socially acceptable, everybody does it, but it it bothers God. Do you know what your pharaohs are? It's hard to know, isn't it? It's, kind of, it's easy to take a cheap shot here, and as I've been reading and studying and listening to tapes, you know, we could say, you know, we've got our IRAs and our savings account, and we trust and in trust more than God. Maybe so. Um, to me, that's too easy. There's nothing wrong with a retirement plan. I, th- I, th- I think the Lord will put his finger on deeper things, maybe that are hidden to us. Habits, perhaps, beliefs, perhaps, ways we think about our body, ways we control things, substances, relationships. Then no one would look at and say is wrong, but it's our pharaoh. You might ask that this week. What's my pharaoh? Well, Solomon goes and offers a sacrifice at the high places. That's a little confusing and kind of shows the ambiguity of all of this. High places in the Bible are always not good things. They're devoted to foreign gods. First Chronicles tells us that at this point in history, the temple hadn't been built yet, and David had taken the ark up there, so he seems to be trying to find a way to to worship at this uh, altar and in Gibeon, and he has a dream. I guess he's sleeping in the sanctuary. And by the way, that was a, a common way that people sought God's guidance in the ancient world. They believed that if you would sleep in a sacred space, that God would reveal a dream to you. It happens a number of times in the Bible. Um, and God gives him a, gives him a dream. And it's interesting how God starts the conversation. God says, ask me what I shall give you. (laughs) Why? I mean, God 101 is that he kind of knows everything, right? He knows what you need before you ask, right? So why say, all right, Solomon, let's start here. Ask me what you want me to give you. (laughs) Could it be that God just likes to engage in conversation with us? That he wants us to ask? He wants to be asked. I don't know why, but maybe he just wants that relationship. So here's a question for you. You might think about this this week, too. Get quiet. Take out your journal. Imagine that God says to you, "What do you want, Dave? Reba, what? What, what do you want, Douglas? Tell me, what do you want?" might open up an interesting time with the Lord. You know what I suspect will happen if you do that? You might not have any idea. Maybe that's a good place to start. Lord, I, I know what my church wants. I know what my dad wants. I know what my preacher wants. I know what everybody that emails me with fundraising requests want. I know what the political parties want. I don't know what I want. One of the most radical things you can do is figure out what you want. Now, our story does not go on to suggest, and whatever you want, (laughs) if you believe it enough, you will get it. No, 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 no. Solomon says, Lord, I, I don't know how to lead this people. I want wisdom. God says, right answer. I'll give you that a whole lot more. He's beginning a great journey. He's facing a great challenge, like many of us are. And he has the humility to know he doesn't know what to do. And so he stops and he says to the Lord, God, I don't know how to do this. This is too great for me. Please, give me wisdom. Give me your divine insight into how to lead this people. I want you to think for a moment about Place in your life, a challenge in your life, an invitation you're sensing tonight, a problem that you're trying to solve, a riddle that you're trying to unravel. Have you asked Him for wisdom? Have you stepped back and, and, and said, and actually said it? That's something this text tells us. It's not enough just to, oh, I know he knows, he'll take care of me. There's something in this text that says, ask. I sat down this afternoon, took out my journal. There's something I've been puzzling over for months. Just, it's not immoral. Come on, don't go there. It's, a, it's just something that the Lord and I have been talking about and not been sure what to do with, and I... I just wrote a long prayer. I said, Lord, I I don't know quite to do with this tension in my life right now. I encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to, to do that. For me, it's opened up some interesting places in my heart. I'll give you just kind of a little hint. About what it is, because I don't, I don't think I need to go into it anymore. But um, you can pray for me, and I'll pray for you. But this summer just was so hard on our country, um, and it feels like the fall is, you know, coming and going to be rough too. And my riddle that I'm trying to figure out is how how do I speak to that as your pastor what's the, the role what's my role in that especially when one of the things I love so much about our church is what we call consensual orthodoxy this idea that we all hold on to the core we agree to disagree and I don't want to take a position that half of you don't agree with. I want to preach principles that you can apply and all of that. I love that part of our church. But sometimes, especially when the world is burning around me, sometimes I, I feel like I miss an opportunity to apply God's word to the pressing issues of our age. So that, There's more to it than that, but that's something that I've been wrestling a lot with. Appreciate your prayers. Pray for the shepherding team as you get insight. Share it. Just asking the Lord for wisdom. Well, the story ends. Uh, Solomon wakes up from his dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So, He's he's encountered God in worship. God has met him and guided him. And the result is praise. Just a deep longing to worship the Lord in community uh, with a sacrificial feast. And that's what we're about to do now. Let's pray.